Welcome to the Business Blasphemy Podcast, where we question the sacred truths of the online business space and the reverence with which they're held. I'm your host, Sarah Khan, speaker, strategic consultant, and BS-busting badass. Join me each week as we challenge the norms, trends, and overall bullshit status quo of entrepreneurship to uncover what it really takes to build the business that you want to build in a way that honors you, your life, and your vision for what's possible, and maybe piss off a few gurus along the way. So if you're ready to commit business blasphemy, let's do it. Hello, hello, blasphemers. So I have been offering free consults for women in this first quarter of 2023. They've been going really well. And I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of amazing women in a variety of different businesses. And so far, as of the recording of this episode, I've done probably about half of the 47 that I have on offer. Women have been coming to me with all sorts of interesting challenges, but the one common thread that I've started to see is a feeling of overwhelm. I spoke with one woman in particular who said she was waking up feeling overwhelmed almost every day, that every day she had a giant to-do list and never got through it all. And there were tasks that she wasn't even sure she should be doing. Other tasks she admitted she didn't know how to do, but she knew that they were crucial to her business growth and her business success, not just because she could see that, but like obviously coaches had told her that. This is not an uncommon problem, as my consults are obviously showing. And to be honest, I think we've all probably experienced this at some point. In fact, a lot of us are probably experiencing it now. I know I've had a lot of conversations with friends and peers in my circle, and this early part of 2023 does, for some weird reason, feel overwhelming. I know a lot of people, including myself, have felt really behind, like we're just constantly struggling to catch up. And January is not even over yet. Overwhelm is a ridiculously common problem, particularly for women in all aspects of life. And it's especially common in business. This wonderful human that I spoke with basically said she felt like she was doing too many things and didn't know where to start. So she ended up procrastinating or doom scrolling or not doing anything at all. And that just made her feel even worse because she felt like she wasn't making progress in all of these things that she had to do. Does that sound familiar? It's funny, I looked up the definition of overwhelm on the Google machine, and it came back as being buried or drowning under a huge mass. (laughs) Sounds delightful. And honestly, I honestly bet most of us have felt exactly that at some point in our business. I mean, I can certainly relate. The hustle-focused nature of so much business keeps us constantly running from one thing to the next. It encourages us to add more and more to our day and more and more to our to-do list and the number of things that we have to keep on top of if we want to be, quote-unquote, successful. You can't see my air quotes, but it makes a lot of air quotes. And especially for a lot of us who come from the traditional workplace, we've been trained to respond to all of these demands by putting in longer hours, working harder, instead of stepping back and really looking at what it is that's making us do this or feel this way. Doesn't matter how smart you are either. Overwhelm can make us feel like we're in over our heads. And as a result, we start to question our ability to even do any of the things that we're trying to do. That's when things like imposter syndrome kick in or a hot topic of conversation lately in my circles, the desire to burn everything down. And the side effects of overwhelm, they are varied. You might feel anxious. You might feel stressed. You might start forgetting things or have difficulty concentrating on things or staying focused. Maybe problem solving or decision making becomes challenging. It definitely has an impact on our cognitive ability, as any mom will tell you, right? And absolutely, it makes us prone to thinking in ways and acting in ways that are not always entirely logical. We make, quote unquote, bad decisions. There are a lot of things that can bring overwhelm on, but in my experience, overwhelm has two main causes in business, doing too much, not doing the right things. Read any article on the internet about overwhelm, and it'll recommend a whole bunch of really generically wonderful things, like finding the source of your overwhelm. 
Okay, then what? Or setting boundaries with your time. A wonderful tip and one that I wholly endorse, but again, not always possible. Managing your workload better. Okay, what does that mean tangibly? But my favorite is outsource or delegate. In fact, that's the go-to advice for a lot of coaches, right? Outsource, hire a team member. If you are feeling overwhelmed in your business, it's time to hire a VA, even if it's only for a few hours a month. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that advice in the right context. The majority of people who hire However, when they're overwhelmed, end up causing more problems than they ever fix. Many of the people I've worked with who are having team issues and then bring me in to help solve them, they hired because they were overwhelmed, thinking that it was going to solve their problems. But then the team member actually comes in and makes things more overwhelming because now the business owner has to manage them on top of all of the other tasks that were causing the overwhelm in the first place. I mean, if you're overwhelmed and you have a million and one things to do, do you really have time to train someone new, bring them up to speed to help get stuff off your plate? Because that's really the first step. But you'd be surprised how many business owners hire someone thinking that person's going to come in and either know off the top of their head, instinctually, or figure things out on their own and immediately fix things. I do believe that part of the problem is there are certain misconceptions about certain implementation roles in the online business space and what they should be able to do in the first three months. I mean, I know there are a lot of programs that tell implementers, tell your clients when they hire you that you're going to come in and give them a bunch of quick wins in the first 30 to 90 days, ideally in the first 30 days, because you want to be able to demonstrate that ROI as soon as possible. This goes back to conversations I've had around being a patient business owner, right? Not wanting to wait for value, not wanting to invest the time to do things right. That's That's another conversation. I mean, I used to do that when I first started as an operator in the space. I used to tell my new clients, in the first 30 days, we're going to achieve X, Y, Z, and I'm going to take all of these things off your plate without having any real idea of what was actually going on in their business in the first place. Because even during a discovery call, if you ask a client all the right questions, they're still going to tell you things from their perspective. And most business owners are not operators or implementers. They're visionaries. They're going to look at their challenges from a completely different perspective than an implementer would. When people would bring me in to help them fix team issues, what I would often hear is things like, I don't use up all of the hours that I'm paying for each month, or I have no idea what to give a team member to do, or I had hoped they would come in and know exactly what needed to be done because they're the expert in that area. And I wouldn't have to be so hands-on with them. Sometimes they'd just be mad and say the person wasn't the right fit. Now, yes, that does happen and people can legitimately not be the right fit. But if you're hiring the right way in the first place, you're less likely to find someone that's not the right fit. Hiring the right team member at the right time in the right way to do the right things is something that takes a lot of planning and a really clearly laid out onboarding process. But there's so much to do before you even put the job ad out there. One day I'll do an episode about hiring, but today I want to talk about overwhelm and why hiring someone is not going to fix it. It's not. So like I said, overwhelm in business, two reasons. You're doing too many things. You're doing the wrong things. Let's start with the first one. You're doing too many things. We all know how much advice is out there in the online business space. We all know all of the different options and beliefs that we have to wade through on a daily basis to figure out what the right next steps are. Let's take social media, for example. A lot of advice tells you that you have to post every single day. Maybe it's multiple times a day. Maybe it's multiple platforms. But you also have to be aware of not just copying and pasting. You have to make sure that your content's optimized for the platform that you're on. And there's SEO and there's hashtags and there's alt text and blah, blah, blah. You're also told, make sure you're engaging 30 minutes before you post and 30 minutes after you post and you're following up after a certain period of time. That's a lot. 
Let's talk about CEO days and CEO time. There's a lot of advice around that too. You know, the time that you're supposed to carve out every week to work on your own business. Some people will tell us that we need to make it a whole day or a whole afternoon or a whole morning. And when you're serving clients, you don't always have full blocks of time like that. When life happens, you don't always have full blocks like that. I've been in business four years in this iteration of my business, and I've done a lot of work around this, but I don't take a full CEO day. Can I, if I wanted to? Probably with the right planning and giving my clients enough notice. But in truth, I don't take a full CEO day every single week. In fact, I don't take a half day every single week. Personally, I spread my CEO time out through the week so that I get little pieces done here and there because I can't work in huge uninterrupted chunks of time. My point is we hear from a lot of different sources, a lot of different pieces of advice, and sometimes conflicting information about what we should be doing every day to grow our own businesses. Now, this is where someone would say, if it feels like too much, hire, delegate, but not all of us are capable of doing that depending on what stage of business we're at. We have a really bad habit of making things more complicated than we need to make them. I'm all about ease and simplicity in business. Not easy, but ease. And if you look up the definition of ease, it's all about doing things with an absence of difficulty. It's about moving carefully and intentionally. So what I'm going to share with you today are three key areas to focus on to bust out of the overwhelm and still plan effectively. There are, from my perspective, seven different areas that I see as critical in business growth and development, but they aren't necessarily a priority for everyone all the time or at the same time. The three that I want to talk to you about today are, no matter what stage of business you're in, these three areas should have your consistent attention and focus. And if you only have the capacity to work on a few things every week, these should be among those things. In my experience, most people do set the foundation in these three areas in the first year of business, but they don't necessarily come back to them and review them regularly, if at all. I call these my three C's and they're not sexy and they're not always fun, but these three C's are very important because they set our tempo. They keep us focused when the world wants to distract us and when FOMO or doubt starts creeping in. I worked behind the scenes of six and seven figure businesses before and provided quarterly strategic planning. And I'll tell you the successful ones that are not hustling, but are still thriving are doing some variation of these three things and regularly revisiting them based on where they are in their own business journey. Because as we go through business and we get several years in, we don't often go back and look at the goals that we've set or the targets that we've determined we need to hit on a regular basis. Why? Because we're busy but we don't look at whether our monetary needs have shifted or our ideal client has changed. We don't often go back and think about whether our marketing needs to be tweaked because the messaging has evolved. One of the really big reasons we feel resistance in business is because our values and the things that are important to us have changed or evolved, but we haven't kept pace with that in our day-to-day activities and output. So these three pieces, these three C's that I'm going to share with you, I would highly recommend revisiting them on a quarterly basis. But even if you only do it once a year, you're still doing yourself a huge service. So let's get started. Wow, that was the longest lead-in ever, wasn't it? The first key piece, the first C, is what I call conscious cash flow. Now I get it. Talking about money is hard. There's a lot of emotion tied up in money. It can be triggering for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Now, money is actually neutral, right? It's the meaning that we ascribe to it that makes it so emotional and triggering. But people also use money to trigger us, right? They tell us to arbitrarily double our prices, even if they have no idea who we are or what we do. They try to equate it to our personal worth. Charge your worth. We price our offers using the people around us as benchmarks, or we buy into the the whole six figures equals success trope. Now, if you want my take on pricing, go back and listen to episode two. But for today, how do we set monetary targets that are actually meaningful? Because here's the clincher. Goals are more likely to be met if they are meaningful ones. 
So I want to talk about good, better, best goals. I'm sure you've heard of this concept. I like the concept. I don't like the way a lot of people teach the concept of good, better, best goals. Good, better, best goals is basically having three numbers that you use as guideposts or milestones when it comes to your financial targeting. You start with a good money goal. And most coaches will tell you to pick a number that feels good, right? That you feel is achievable, but still pushes you out of your comfort zone a little bit. Now I understand where that advice is coming from, but it is so hard to quantify. It's so hard to contextualize. Feel feel good? Pick a number that feels, what does that even mean? What does that look like? How do I do that? Right? That's why so many people have trouble setting monetary goals based on the common advice, because what's a good number to aim for? What's realistic? This is why so many of us get confused and set our financial goals using five-figure month rhetoric, right? 10K months is the gold standard good goal. And yet, do you know how many people actually make 10K a month, especially in the early stages of business, consistently? What an incredibly quick way to set yourself up to feel like a failure. So here's how I set good goals. It's a three-step process. The first step is to determine how much I need to make every month to cover or contribute to my household expenses. That's it. That's the first step. How much money do I need to make to survive and cover my bills? The next step is determining what my business expenses are each month. So looking at things like cost of programs, subscriptions, software. That's step two. The third step is to add those two things together and come up with a number. That number is your break-even point. That's the number you need to meet every single month in order to ensure that everything is paid for and that you're not putting yourself in debt. My friends, let me repeat that for you. If you are breaking even every month, you are successful. If you are making enough money to cover all your expenses and you're not going into debt, you are successful. And that good goal is something that you aim to achieve every single month with consistency. Because if you can do that, you're all good. Now, doesn't that feel more manageable than immediately hopping to a 10K month with no other context? I kind of feel like it does. The second one is the better goal. And that's a combination of your good goal and just a little bit more. Now, my mentor, Natalie Gingrich, advises 10 to 30% margin on that good goal. So adding like 10 to 30% on top of your good goal, that will give you a decent better goal. But you can also set that goal by looking at any upcoming investments that you want to make. So if you know you want to hire a coach in the second quarter of the year, or you want to invest in a program or a course in the fall, you can start planning for it. You take your good goal and you add to it whatever money you need each month to be able to make those investments comfortably and maybe throw in a little discretionary income on top of that. That's your better goal. It may not happen every single month, but it happens occasionally enough that you're able to do all of the things that you want to do. And your best goal, this is something that's rarely achieved. It might be the result of a big launch or something similar that brings in a big influx of cash. Again, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, whoo, does it ever. So that's my perspective on good, better, best goals. I like to be able to have something concrete that I can look at and say, yeah, that makes sense. That's the first C. The second C is cultivating connection. I know a lot of you have probably heard me use the term pitch slapping before, but I got to say pitch slapping is not a form of connection. What is pitch slapping? Pitch slapping is when you slide into someone's DMs unsolicited or immediately after sending them a friend request and being accepted, where you immediately dive into selling your program, your offer, or inviting someone to your Facebook group. Basically, you walk into a room and you start throwing business brochures at people. I mean, that's the in real life equivalent, right? Sometimes pitch slappers are a little bit more savvy, but not by much. They'll ask you 
you some sort of scripted questions that are really leading. For example, they might say something like, tell me how long you've been in business and how you're finding things. They wait for you to open up a little bit and then boom, they hit you with a pitch about how their program is the perfect thing for you. I mean, of course they would know that, right? Having spoken to you for what, all of three minutes? Then there's my absolute favorite, the ones who slide into your DMs with a really generic half-baked attempt at connecting around your content. You know, the ones they slide in there and they say things like, looks like you're killing it in business. I love your content. It's so great. You're doing so good at business. Bitch, please. Lord, I could talk about pitch slapping all day, but I won't. Here's the point. The second key piece to focus on, the second C to overcoming overwhelm is to cultivate genuine, authentic connection. Here's the thing about genuine connection though. It takes time and too many people are not willing to put that time in and wait for that relationship to grow into something that could potentially be fruitful. They want to see an ROI right away, but in the relationship game, nothing immediate ever bears the kind of fruit that's worth picking. And the bottom line is sales are the byproduct of genuine connection. Ultimately, selling your offer has way less to do with the price or the container than it does with creating a connection with your ideal client. Yes, you need the nuts and bolts for sure, but understanding what they want is key. And that means making a conscious effort to connect with them through things like your content or market research or coffee chats, those those tried and true ways of connecting with people. What can you do to connect with your ideal audience and help them see that you're the right solution to their problem? Now you might be thinking, how does that beat overwhelm, Sarah? Well, you're not constantly hustling for one to try and generate random leads. You're not constantly showing up in a million different places, hoping that something's going to stick and that someone's going to notice you and someone's going to want to work with you. You're nurturing raving fans who will want to buy from you when they see that you care more about them than what they can do for you. And they'll start to see that your solution is absolutely right for their problem. And they're going to trust you to help them solve it. So connection is incredibly important. And we don't prioritize this the way that we should, because in many ways, it's a long game. I can be honest and say that maybe only a handful of clients have ever come to me cold. Most of the people that I work with have been in my space for a while and they know me and they trust me and they know what I stand for. I've taken the time to create safety and trust with them. You can't put a price tag on that. So yes, going back to the social media example, engage with people, but don't treat those engagements like a one night stand. You're trying to make friends here, not hit it and quit it. Unless of course you are here to hit it and quit it. And if that's the case, I have no idea why you're here. The third C is confident content. This is looking at where you're showing up, how often you're showing up and why. It's getting crystal clear on your messaging and getting crystal clear about where your ideal people are hanging out. And it takes into account where you actually want to spend time. Like, I'll be completely honest. I have some sort of weird mental block around Pinterest. Honestly, it's like emotional damage. I know it's a great place to promote things like blogs and stuff like that, but I just, I hate it with a passion for no reason other than it makes my brain melt to be on that platform. It's a long story, but I refuse to go on Pinterest no matter what anyone tells me or what it can do for my business, because it's just not the place that I want to be and it's not a place I'm going to enjoy. And when you don't enjoy what you're doing, you procrastinate, even if you've been told you have to do the thing. And then that's where the overwhelm starts to kick in. So getting really clear on what you want to say, where you want to say it, to streamline your content process, it allows you to just show up where it matters and when it matters. And it becomes really clear on who it matters for. You're not figuratively killing yourself every day or every week trying to turn out content for four different platforms, you know, two of which you probably don't even want to be on. It's also deciding what consistency means for you too. Maybe you only have the desire and the capacity to show up on social media twice a week. Maybe it's once a week. It doesn't matter. As long as you're showing up consistently for you and your audience knows that you can be reliably expected to show up at a certain cadence. I know someone who never shows up on social media except for every Friday when she does a one hour live. That's it. 
and her audience loves it. She has a highly engaged following. I know a lot of business owners who do not show up every day and they're thriving just fine. They have committed followings and their followings are engaged. Please note that I did not say they have huge followings. They have committed followings. The huge following thing, that's a conversation for another episode. So that's it. Those are my three key areas to focus on, my three C's. If you want to kick overwhelm to the curb and nowhere did I mention hiring as an immediate solution. Again, I'm not saying hiring is a bad idea. I'm just saying it should not be your first thought, especially in the early stages of your business. The first thought should be, where am I making things harder for myself than I need to? Then asking where you can streamline things and still make sure you're doing the key things that are going to contribute to your growth. And doing that not only helps you make sure you're not doing too many things, it also addresses the second cause of overwhelm, doing things you don't want to do. And once you've gotten into a good cadence and you're making the money you need to be making, maybe you set a better goal of hiring a team member. And because you've streamlined your daily to-do list, you have time to onboard and train or even clearly see where the gaps are that you need to address with a team member. And then that'll allow you to start intentionally adding more to your business that the right hire can support you with. Hopefully this helped reframe a little bit around what you spend your time focused on. Getting clear and intentional on your money goals, having clarity around your content, and being consistent and patient with your connection. These three things are what prop up all good, sustainable businesses. If you want to talk more about this or share your comments, head over to my revamped community on Facebook, where we're going to be talking all things business blasphemy. Head over to bit.ly forward slash business blasphemy community and join us for more success without the BS. I'll talk to you soon. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to the Business Blasphemy Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode, but in the meantime, help a sister out by subscribing. And if you're feeling extra sassy, rating this podcast. And don't forget to share the podcast with others. Head over to businessblasphemypodcast.com to connect with us and learn more. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have success without the BS.